dýtt! Ísland 2 er lokastaðan hér í Nís! This is not a dream job, this is reality. I am an actor. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. And I think that you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. But Premier League is a fraud. Ferret head. Very much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? Which form is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Hello and welcome to the Balls.ie football show, which is our football show here on Balls.ie in association with Ladbrokes. My name is Mikey Trainer, and I'm joined by Gavin Cooney. And coming up on today's show, we're going to take a look back at Ireland's friendly defeat to Iceland. But don't, don't worry, it's not going to be too long. Um, Gavin, you have been talking to one of the most famous Icelanders, Icelandic men. Icelandic, Icelandic men, I went Icelandic with. men uh, uh, around. Goodmunder um, Benedictson, Mikey. If the name doesn't ring a bell... His Don't commentary worry, will. His, his commentary most certainly will. This is a man who captured the hearts of the world during mm. the 2016 for his reaction to, uh, to, to Iceland dumping England out of Euro 2016. And just before we go on, I did notice a comment from an English fan in the, uh, the Bozzarai Ireland supporters group okay. last night who said, ha ha, now you can't laugh at us for losing to Iceland. Yes, we can. <laughs> And yes, we <laughs> will for the remainder of our time on this earth. Uh, we'll also have an update on the Chinese Super League update and we'll have our Labrooks Bet of the Week as well. But firstly, a huge thanks to every single one of you who've been listening to this podcast and subscribed over the past lo- last couple of weeks, as well as those who have rated on mm-hmm. iTunes. We were number one in uh, in, in flying Ireland high. Yeah, week. no, that's great because it feeds our egos, uh, but it also means it does make it easier for other people to uh, discover the show and listen in. And that means we can get uh, more guests and just do more things. So, yeah, huge thank you. It's great. So, yeah, very much uh, a huge thank you to you guys but we would also love to hear from you more regularly if you ever want to get in touch you can tweet us uh, at balls.ie with the hashtag the ball bag and we'll read out your comments and talk about them on air or you can email the gaffer at balls.ie that works as well but first uh, let's talk about iceland um we'll talk about the on- yeah i know we'll talk about the on pitch uh, the on pitch action in a minute uh, of all that there was all all, all four <laughs> seconds of it from, from an irish point of view um but the, the, one of the biggest talking points again to come out of the game was the FAI's brass band mm-hmm. uh, that that came onto the pitch, and um, they're back. They were there against Wales for the first time. First of all, before we move on, like what a game to introduce something like <laughs> the biggest game in years. Um, and then they were there last night as well. We've got the video here. If you're listening to the podcast, I think this section might be going up on Facebook. But if you're listening, listen in. And if you're watching, watch on as uh, as we, we we have a look. <laughs> Quite uh, vocal boos there for the for the yeah. brass band. Uh, so that that video, by the way, was posted in the Bulls of the Irish supporters group on Facebook by Emmett Cosgrove. So thanks to Emmett uh, for that. So the band were in situ last Friday and they had a PA system. They lost much of the PA system uh, last night, which meaning I was watching on TV, so I didn't really hear them. But you were in the ground, Mike. Yeah, I was. Okay, so if we're looking here, I'm just. Down here to the right of the right goalpost. Okay. Uh, in the, sing- right in the, the singing, singing section. It's a great place to have a season ticket. It's, for my money, the best place to watch an Ireland game. But um, so much, so much is wrong with, with what this is. Like the idea in principle, I'm not that against. Having horn, brass instruments in the crowd, I'm, okay. I'm not that vehemently against it. But it's just executed so poorly. And if you were watching the video, you'll notice these guys, these guys in around here, the first problem is they have to fucking stand up to see over them. They're, mm. they're, they're, they're like, they're, and I'm getting annoyed because this pissed me off last night as well. It's not just these brass band people. Is the stewards at the Aviva have absolutely no idea that they are blocking so much of the view of the people in the first five rows. I'm in the second row, and it's not the stewards. It's the people who supervise the stewards okay. and literally just walk back and forth in front of your line of vision for the entire game. They're those people whose job it is is to look important and to be like, you, you should be, your hand shouldn't be at that position, it should be that position. 
And it's like, nobody's going to run onto the pitch in an Ireland versus Iceland game. Okay. And if they do, then the stewards will deal with it. But these people just walk in front of your vision. So my first problem is, these guys are standing in the way and blocking yeah. the pitch. We should just explain for anyone, anyone who's listening, uh, the band are set up, they're facing the crowd and the south stand and the singing section, and they're on the pitch. Yeah. They're right, almost right behind the goal, and they're facing up at the crowd. So that's why they're, they're blocking off the and first they, they, they don't have seats in the stadium. They're sitting just like where stewards and ball boys would okay, be. Yeah. And then they come up and they play it. And I feel absolutely terrible for these lads because it's not I their fault. I feel sorry for them it's as well. It's not yeah. their fault. They're getting booed. It's not them that's getting booed. And they had to... Get the first time, I think this must have been the first time they went up because the first time the reaction was really, really hostile okay. to what they were doing. And I'm down the other end. Firstly, nobody is singing with their chants. It actually happened that like we were in the middle of chants and they'd like interrupt it and it would stop and people would be like, oh, okay. Something okay, else that's is frustrating. So that's frustrating. Then you've got the fact that these people are trying to watch the match and you've got guys banging instruments and being like, yeah, come on, Ireland. It's like not what you want to see. If we're going to do this, they've got to be in the crowd so that it's actually a okay. part of the crowd. Okay. Like, and I think we have some comments. If we can minimise the, the video, we have some re I saw two really good comments under this in the, uh, in the Balls at E Facebook group. First one is from Christy Smith. And she says, or he says probably, drums are grand, but the trumpet is crap. So it's out of tune and way off the pace with the, with the tunes. The first problem is there's no synergy between them and the rest of the crowd. It's, yeah, come on, you boys in green. And it's okay. not like, well, we've been singing it for the past three minutes. Like, cheers for... So for, they, have for they obviously understand that their job is to play instruments and play a tune. And then the crowd will pick the, that song up and almost like carry almost like a wave crashing to shore. Carry that across the ground. Yeah. And throughout the game. That's, okay. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of opinions on this. Firstly, in... I can your inside having been in the ground is much better than my listening on TV. I did hear at one stage that they struck up. It might have been come on stand up for the boys in green maybe, yeah. and there was a rendition of that that was that was just the fans singing that was audible across the TV. Now I felt it was almost out of spite that these guys look. We can sing loud if you really want us to, but that's yeah. another thing. That I mean, if that was their job, then they've achieved that. Where I stand on it is, firstly. I think there's a lot of talk about how Irish fans are the best fans in the world. And, yeah. um, okay, sometimes that might be a little bit self-congratulatory. But Irish fans, when they make noise, boy, do they make noise. And Lansdowne and the Aviva can occasionally be a, a fantastic atmosphere that's good for every single Irish person, be it player, manager, or fan yeah. in the ground. I think that the idea, if you're going to market the best fans in the world, or if you want us to believe that, if you're bringing in a brass band, there's an implicit... Uh, implicit understanding there that you're actually not. Yeah. You're actually, we have to make you sing. Mm. And there is, I mean, fans, I like to think that fans should sing anyway, but there is a responsibility on the players on the field to make yeah. that happen. I don't think that it should be the responsibility of a band as a buffer in between. And I think that's a little, I think that's, I think that's why a number of Irish fans are so critical of this because it's almost, will you tell me I'm the best fans in the world and you'll give us an award, um, after Euro 2016 and will represent Ireland so well in France and wherever we go and then you you're almost patronising us with yeah, this totally. and look absolutely sometimes on a friendly game the Aviva's deathly quiet yeah um but this is a problem, this is an organic problem that, that fans in the Premier League is especially if you watch it you'll see it Manchester United fans at home on a, on a Saturday 3pm kickoff mm. against Bournemouth are crap yeah it's a crap atmosphere Manchester United play away at Stoke and you will hear those Manchester United fans sing their, their, their heads off for the entire game, and it sounds fantastic. Ireland fans travel to the Euros. It's a complete carnival, and the world thinks we're the greatest people on earth. Tuesday night friendly against Iceland, where we are playing really, really poor football. Yeah. Firstly, you're not going to get that atmosphere, so trying to force it isn't the way. And everything you've said there, I would agree with, and you made your point much better than me, having been emotionally involved and having my view blocked yeah. and being really angry with there's it. Another, there's another point I want to raise on this is that you can kind of understand if this happened, like we have no idea This it seems to have been an FAI yeah. we have no idea who made the decision or in what context or, mm -hmm. um, and wh were there any specific moments that did it but I just feel that and there has been and we'll get to the reaction because it's actually been, there's a lot of people in favour of it so we, yeah. will, we will voice those uh, voice those opinions in a few minutes but I think that it, culturally I don't think it fits well no. with English fans or Irish fans and whereas you'll go to Germany and the atmosphere in, at Bayern or at Dortmund is going to be fantastic and there'll be a guy beating a drum but it's a different kind of fan experience like yeah. I remember 
what sticks out most in my mind is the Liverpool and Dortmund game at Anfield from last year. Um, the 4-3 that mm-hmm. Liverpool won in the last minute. And Dortmund fans are lined up. They're in the, cor- the left-hand corner of Anfield. And there's guys, um, they're almost lined up. And they're, it's almost like militaristic and yeah. very organised. The way this guy will beat the drum. And they'll have these organised chants all the time. Yeah. And I don't think, maybe this is... This is a slightly contrived point, but that's how kind of Germans play their football, is that it, they pass it and they know that they're better than everybody else <laughs> and it's quite structured and it's grand. Yeah. But in the Aviva, when Ireland are good, the atmosphere is wild. It's this kind of mad the roar. Germany game is the best example of exactly. it. Exactly. And the atmosphere is better in the Aviva when it's just this wild roar and it's, to- it's totally uncontrolled. It's totally of the moment and I feel that that's the atmosphere that we prefer yeah. and that we're better in and I think that's the atmosphere that the Irish players are better in and Liverpool were the underdogs in that game and I think there is a little bit of an overlap between uh, the fan culture at Liverpool and in the north of England with the fan culture yeah. in the Aviva Stadium and I just feel that this while it works in Germany it's just a different culture and I think it's foolish to try and incorporate that and to really force it on Irish fans again totally agree what you're saying about this, this militaristic thing like often there'll be a couple of guys conducting what's going on. They'll yeah. be standing in front of it and saying... Watch the match. Exactly. But where that comes from is that that's a decision by the Ultras or whichever supporter group it is. They've come together and said, we care about this club more mm. than the other team, than the other fans in the stadium. So we're going to take it upon us to generate the atmosphere. And they do it that way. It's an organic and it's a natural thing that comes out of fans wanting to support their team. What this is, is the FAI going, oh, Jesus, wouldn't it be great if we had a few sing-songs and some brass bands? We'll get them up on the pitch. And we'll strap the microphones in so everyone can hear, and it'll be a right old laugh. Ireland fans are going, fuck yeah. off. I don't want that. These, like, what really pissed me off about that video is the guy who's standing up, and he can't see the match over them. Like, there's just, it's just a fundamental lack of understanding. And there's a great comment under it as well from John Dunn, okay. who says, booing not on, but do hope they realise it's a failed experiment. Again, booing those lads it's harsh it really is harsh and I felt my heart like I couldn't watch what was mm. going on to the left of me because I really felt bad for them but they're not booing those people you're not booing the trumpeter yeah. you're not booing the guy with the drums you're booing this idea it's like f- get off I would, yeah We're, I would be in, in favour of it calling it a failed experiment because anything the FAI do to improve the F uh, anything anyone does to improve the atmosphere in the ground should be award, should be um, recognised yeah. and should be treated with a level of respect I think that the way they've gone about with this one probably isn't right no. I think it's against it just doesn't fit very well with our culture uh, Like and uh, like just looking at the comments in the Facebook group uh, Owen Hickey this just smacks of the barmy army crap to me that's the English yeah. the English fans that being said it's gotten the discussion going some people like it as it gets the crowd going so we as fans need to think of something better that is just unoriginal in force but that's what people like myself have against it not the spirit and intention behind it and I actually would Fully agree with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And what I'll say as well is the English Barmy Army, right? That's something they've been doing for years. That They're, they're, they're fans on the ground, isn't it? They're yeah. up at the back. They're the in, in the fans and they generate it themselves when they think, right, lads, let's pick this up. Mm. Also, we've got the lad with the bell. Yeah. Is everybody going to forget <laughs> the lad with the bell? This guy's been to every Ireland game home and away for I don't know how long. When he feels the atmosphere dip, <laughs> he rings his bell and everybody goes, way! And everybody's in a better mood. So it's a complete lack of respect for the man with the bell, first of all. Um, he's a good, he's a, he's a St. Joseph's man, I believe. Uh, I tried to get in touch with him for an interview, okay. but he's, he's hard to track down, that man with the bell. But, um, like that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just, it's a detachment from mm. what fans want when they go to a, a, a match yeah. experience. And, and, like, and there's, a, there's a good few people here. Uh, Andrew Trimble, I don't think, is the Irish rugby <laughs> international. Drums, maybe, but the trumpet sounds like an England game. And where I'm saying, I think there's a definite d- difference between fan culture go, that go to England international games and go to uh, club games primarily in the northeast and north- mm-hmm. northwest of England. Um, yeah, but only a failed experiment, I think, is... Is, yeah. is how we is how we I mean, there's up. other co- comments of people saying like the drums are grand but the trumpet uh, needs to go that, there was a guy I was in section 114 right behind the goal there's a guy with the drum there mm. and everybody loves it like when yeah. you're doing chants and he keeps you in rhythm he keeps everyone that's absolutely brilliant everybody likes that the trumpet can be offensive but I still think there is a place for it if it's done properly it shouldn't be a guy with a mic uh, up, to, up to a microphone or a PA system that's ridiculous yeah. it's an absolutely ridiculous thing to do but we should really move on yeah, we spent this, about 20 uh, minutes talking about this, drums uh, uh, the band and the horn has actually given us a lovely excuse to not talk about the football yeah. that was on offer. Well, let's, um, let's talk about it. It wasn't great. So it you're wasn't at the, great. You're at the game. So what, what struck you most? Um, just, 
our absolute and complete devotion to the kick and chase. Yeah. Like I was stunned. Firstly, we we watched the like we were behind Ireland in the first half. The first comment I remember making to my mate who was there with was it was Sig Thorson up front for Iceland. I was like, Jesus, he's a big lad. And then we kind of like looked at the rest of the Iceland team. We were like, they're all giants. Like their centre back number five who had a great game for them and headed everything. And when number four came on, uh, sorry, there's too many Inga Marsons and Marsons going right. on. But the number four came off the bench in the second half and he literally won every single corner kick. And it became a running joke in our section that every time we got a corner, it'd be like player cam number four and he heads it clear without fail. So it became so apparent early on that these guys were bigger than us mm. and stronger than us and that they weren't going to make mistakes if we just loft the ball in the general direction and head it clear. And... Uh, just the fact that there was absolutely no plan B was incredibly discouraging. Like, this is, this is a friendly, right? The result doesn't matter at the end of the day. FIFA rankings and all that jazz, the result doesn't matter. It's a chance to go and try new ways of playing, try new players. The second mm. half was infinitely better than the first because there well, were new players with fresh Yeah, I, I, would fe- I would say, I mean, Martin, if you put that question to Martin O'Neill and he would say, well, look, there were two bit debutants in my... First 11, Aidan McGeady started, he didn't start the weekend. Mm-hmm. James McLean started up front, Kevin Doyle started, Howard John Egan, uh, Alex Pierce. Like there was here in West, so there's loads of new players tried. New, new is a word I'm not on board with in that sense. Oh, okay. Because Alex Pierce, Kevin Doyle, well, Alex Pierce, Kieran okay, Westwood, yeah. Aidan McGeady to an extent, we've, we've seen, we know, like we're, we're not going to be surprised by anything. anything that, and I'm not saying we field a, a team of uncapped players, mm-hmm. but I'd like to see a more a mixing of players that know the Irish system and players that are not familiar with it yet. So, although, then you're thinking, like, the Irish system is hoofing it long. So what we're doing is, right, right, lads, this is how you hoof it long. Like, I saw Johnny Egan in the first half try to play a pass to a striker on the ground. Mm. And I was like, what is that? Who taught him that? He definitely didn't learn that with Ireland. But it's incredibly frustrating because I've seen this team play well. And we only ever play well when we know going into a game we need this result. Well, we need to be at them. That, but isn't it also a personnel thing? We do it when Wes Ulan's playing off the striker and Robbie Brady's further forward than left back. It's more, it's uh, too uh, It's too commonplace for that to be a coincidence anymore. Robbie Brady and Wes I mean, Ulan this is the This is my big worry from these couple of games. And okay, again, friendly match, no worry, atmosphere. And then obviously the whole thing is skewed by the Seamus Coleman injury because that was such such an important, a seismic, a seismic thing to happen. But we didn't really create a very good chance in 180 the minutes of football in chance, Dublin. The best chance we created against Iceland was when Callum O'Dea picked up the ball, beat a few men and had a shot blocked because that shot was on target. It was right behind him. I thought it was going in. But aside from that, there was not a single There's moment nothing. where I thought we're going to score. There's nothing. And like without Hulan, and oftentimes we, we really should be playing Hulan. Yeah. We actually... Based on the evidence of these last few games, he's absolutely essential. Yeah, I know. He's essential, and it's essential to have Robbie Brady further further ahead. Well, that's the thing. Robbie Brady from left back played really well last Mm. night, and like it, it was as if he was playing in central attacking mid at left back because everybody was trying to get the ball to him as often as possible. He'd beat his man any time he decided he wanted to. His delivery was excellent, but when it was excellent, there was Iceland's twin towers there just to nod it away. It was. It was it was pretty it was tough to watch. Yeah, the big worry really for me grim until Darren Horgan. Yeah, came we'll get to Horgan in a minute. But my big kind of concern from these two games it was Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, he didn't like play he, well. I mean, you were really expecting him to step thing, up. He, I wanted him to be the guy in midfield that would take the ball off John Egan. Yeah, uh, and take the ball off Robbie Brady, and then turn and give the pass rather than Harrahan. And Harrahan was kind of anonymous yeah. anyway. But and there's mitigating factors there. It's his international debut. Definitely, and, and everybody nervous. wanted Jeff Hendrick, and everybody wants Jeff Hendrick to be that guy. And I think that he will be in time, but I don't think he's there yet. Like, it's actually kind of crazy how much uh, Euro 2016 has changed the opinion of Jeff Hendrick because going this time last year, Jeff Hendrick wouldn't be considered a, a, a must start in our in our starting 11 I don't okay. think it was the back end of the campaign he really started to show flashes of what he can do and then in the Euros he held his hand up and he was arguably our best player aside from Robbie Brady but without the experience of McCarthy and Whelan around him in midfield he has a lot more responsibility and you can see him like against Iceland last night the whole time he was talking which was good he was telling people where he wants them but he was too busy doing that, and he he wasn't going and looking for the ball the way he does. And when he gets it, you know he'll use it. He's he's one of our very few really talented mm. midfield. Th- to use John Giles' word, guile 
He's one of he's one of <laughs> very few Irish players that have a bit of guile about him. Okay. Um. But he, and then it's it, it also becomes incredibly easy for other uh, countries to look at us and go, he's a guy that can play football at Dublin Markham. Yeah. And then he's taken out of the game. There were a lot of times where uh, Hendrick found himself in trouble uh, because he he was under a lot of pressure and he couldn't use the ball. But I don't I don't think we can start him, especially in a midfield two. Uh, and expect him to, to run the show this early. It's something I believe Jeff Hendrick is absolutely capable of doing. But just yet, I think he still needs... I think Hendrick's at his best in a three-man midfield with two holders beside him, be that McCarthy and Arter, ideally, mm. or uh, Whelan and one of the other. Yeah, two. and dovetailing with Brady on the left. Yeah. Uh, you were in the ground. It looked like the best moment of the night was when Daryl Horgan came on. Unquestionably. And it was such a good moment to be a part of because you could see him warming up and then he gets the call and every single person in that stadium was cheering. And it's like, what does that tell you? about Irish football fans. It's that we want to see League of Ireland players progress to the first team. That's what we want to see. That's a, it's a great thing for the country. Uh, not everybody there last night's a League of Ireland fan. I'm not a particularly big League of Ireland fan. I follow it, but like I'm, I'm, compared to people that go to the games every week, I'm not a League of Ireland fan. Mm. But seeing that happen, it's, it's a really good thing because it shows us there is talent in the League of Ireland. Of course, yeah. And it's if we give them a chance... They can play yeah. ball, and, and that mean, that means that Irish international fans will automatically become League of Ireland fans. Yeah, and like I mean, like we like know they this. Can't be this, too this isn't new to Daryl Horgan. How many like we had that that photo at the Euros in the summer, like the squad that have graduated from the League yeah. of Ireland. League of Ireland players have been playing for Ireland for so long, but it's it's someone who was playing League of Ireland ball last season, and now he's playing for the Irish team. It's a great story. Daryl Horgan is a great uh, lad. He's got the perfect attitude for this Irish squad, and he's a direct footballer, which is what we have just not got enough of. Mm. So he comes on the pitch and you're hoping, like, oh God, I hope this goes well. You know, you don't want him to do what ha- to go the way of McGeady where the first thing doesn't work out, the second thing doesn't work out, now the crowd is on his back. First thing he does is he beats two players and gets a ridiculously dangerous cross flashed yeah. across the six-yard box. Like, everybody gets off their seat. Next time he gets the ball, turns down, wh- goes high, again, near ch- back post chance, almost creates a goal. People are going like, this guy... This guy knows what to do. This guy's creating chances. This is what we want to see. Mm. But it was a lovely moment to be a part of. And I look forward to to watching Daryl Horgan as uh, become a regular in that Irish team because he put his hand up last night and he was like, if you play me, I will give you this. My only fear is that he will be given the Stephen Hunt impact sub role. Yeah, he probably will. Like I can't see him forcing his way into that starting eleven. But y- you talked about uh, Horgan putting his hand up. One man who put his hand firmly back down in his pocket uh, was his Preston teammate Aidan McGeady. McGeady is unbelievably profligate with uh, goodwill. I mean, he'll build it up over months through man-of-the-match performance after man-of-the-match performance for Preston, the championship, and then he'll kind of piss it all away in 45 minutes of ineffectiveness in Dublin. Gavin Casey... um, our colleague, who's now, who's actually off today, so he's not on this podcast, has a fantastic piece on the site that he wrote last night about McGeady, the McGeady conundrum and how it may be not really his fault. He has 88 caps for Ireland. Yeah. He's 12 off having 100. It's crazy. It's madness. And again, he was on the right wing. He was on the right, yeah, the right yeah. wing. Um, and Gav makes a point that he's actually not a good crosser of the ball. And that he is a much better player when he plays in field. And I had this conversation uh, with a, with Dave Seddon, who covers Preston North End uh, on a on a weekly 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 basis. And he said that McGeady has been at his most effective when he comes in field, almost as the number ten, with yeah. given like a blank canvas, few responsibilities. The only responsibility is just show me what you can do, Aiden. Mm-hmm. And there's a frustration last night that James McLean was up front rather than McGeady. Um, so that's frustrating. But again, maybe. Did McGeady have to show more himself on the right wing? You you probably saw more of him than I did. Possibly. I mean, well, like, the the first 15 minutes of the game, he was really positive, and he was like, get me the ball, I'll make something happen. When it didn't work out a couple of times, you could sense the crowd getting on his back. And Aidan McGeady, he's got 88 caps for Ireland, and over those 88 caps, he has allowed a lot of Irish pl- uh, fans to form an opinion of him. <laughs> and a lot of Irish fans don't like Aidan McGeady. There was a group of lads behind me last night who every time he got the ball... They were taking the piss out of him and they were saying, watch this, step over, first man. Before he'd done anything, they were saying, what's going to happen is he'll do a step over and he won't beat the first man. And what's sad is they were right about 90% of the time. And like, when the crowd get on his back, you could see him shrink in the jersey last night. The first half an hour, he was trying stuff. Then he just went missing entirely. And... It's it's difficult to see because as much as we've we've been talking about McGeady every week on Squeaky Balls time because he's he's popping up with goals and assists every week, but when you watch that 
Preston highlights thing that we featured on the site a couple yeah. of weeks ago because it was brilliant and exciting. Every clip is through the middle. He's not skinning defenders out wide and whipping in dangerous crosses for a big man. He can't cross the ball. Yeah. Like, do you remember when, when he had, when he, like, I, I tell you what, I, as many Irish fans have formed that negative opinion, I would wager that 75% of them hate him because of that period of time where he was on corners for the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> and he took corners and we never, ever got ahead to one of them. And everybody was just like, Ricky, can't cross the ball. <laughs> And then he's never been able to rebuild his... And like a lot of other fans have been like, you know what, McGeady is actually having a really good season for Preston. But when he comes to the Irish setup, he he's. Re- I'm sad to say that he's reverted to type. He had an mm. extremely positive cameo appearance against Wales where he, he looked sparky and he was trying to make things happen. He tried to start that way against Iceland and when it didn't work out, he regressed. And uh, I feel that he, he missed his big chance. That's for sure. Well, he will only give us about another 90 seconds or so, but you were impressed with Yuno know Kane? Yuno know Kane, I thought was unbelievable last okay. night. He was just extremely, extremely busy. It's like he came on there and he wanted to be like, eh, I'm here, I want to play for Ireland. I want to." He was going back to the centre-backs, getting the ball, giving it to someone, offering it. He'd start a move at the back and then he'd be looking to try and finish it in the box. I thought it was an inc- incredibly positive uh, performance from Ewan O'Kane off the bench. Stephen Gleeson also did pretty well uh, too. He looked like he wasn't afraid to pass the ball Taking up his third cap 10 years after yeah. getting his second, yeah, that is, is crazy. That is crazy. The other thing that I took away from it was just how bad I felt from Kevin Doyle. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm sure he loves playing for his country. Friend of the show, Kevin for, Doyle. Yeah, absolutely. That in, in there. fact, I know he loves playing for country because why else would you do it? But like, he's flown over from Colorado for 90 minutes against Iceland. And it's not even 90 minutes against Iceland. It's like being in fifth class and asking to play against this, being told you're playing against the sixth class at, uh, at lunch and you're on your own and the game is going to be played exclusively in the air. <laughs> like it's not, it, it really wasn't fair on Kevin Doyle. He okay. took a battering. Like, I, I caught him once at a corner at about 70 minutes and he was gassed gassed because all he's been asked to do is chase channels against two vikings that are eight feet tall and now he's got to get in a plane and go back to colorado like i just felt very very bad for kevin Doyle. obviously like fair play to him for coming out and he clearly loves the country but if you if we're going to play him let's you know let's give him more of a chance like i don't think he had a shot last night that would have been incredibly frustrating for him um we need to give kevin better service and we need just a better tactical outlook. Like <laughs> the fact that we just kept bombing long balls at Iceland. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right, let's get to uh, Good Munder. Uh, yeah, Good Munder Benedictson, who you uh, will most well, if you do know him, you know him because he became a viral sensation during the Euros uh, with his ridiculously excited commentary uh, in the Iceland Euro games against Austria and then against England, uh, most famously. Um, I, ca- I tracked him down because I thought he would be in Dublin for this game and we could have him in studio. Uh, Goodmunder had the good vision to not come to Dublin and is instead on holidays in Spain. Oh. Uh, so he did miss last night's game. Uh, but I did talk to him before the game yesterday. Um, he was kind enough to take the call. So I think the best thing to do is listen to a bit of the commentary and then you'll hear my chat with the Icelandic commentary legend that is good Munder Benedictson. I suppose let's start by, you obviously became a bit of a viral sensation during the Euros, Goodmunder, so what did it feel like to become a global celebrity? Uh, it's, it's quite strange, actually. Uh, it was uh, not, not something I expected, but, uh, you know, it, it happened, but uh, it's not too difficult, though. <laughs> I'm, uh, I will stay as myself, and uh, it's not a big problem for me. Not a big issue. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about what the experience of the European Championships was like. Uh, you're obviously as much of a fan as you are a commentator. Uh, so what was that experience like overall? 
it was of course uh, uh, just an unbelievable feeling, you know, and an unbelievable uh, achievement in my opinion because something I I didn't believe I would live to see uh, the, the, a small nation like Iceland playing at the at the finals at the Euros or the World Cup. So it was. It was huge for us, and, and in my opinion, uh, probably the, the biggest sporting moment in, in Icelandic history. Yeah, you say playing at the Euros. They did more than just play, obviously. They won uh, quite a lot, and you came you came to prominence with your commentary around the Austria, and then especially the England commentary, which everyone in Ireland here greatly enjoyed, I can promise you. Uh, had you any idea what you're saying on commentary when you're reacting like that? Mm, no, not really, <laughs> and and... You 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 know you can't really prepare for for a moment like this. You know it was it was a huge moment for for all of us uh, back in Iceland, and, and uh, you can't prepare for it. it uh, you know I don't have a clue what I did say or, or what I didn't say, and, and you know it's it's just something that comes out when you are when you're feeling really good. Yeah, and if you, when you're in the commentary booth, even before the game starts, and you know that this is potentially one of the biggest moments in Iceland's football history, are you even thinking before the game, oh, I could react like like I did, or is it entirely spontaneous? It's definitely just spontaneous. Yeah. You, you know, you like I said before, you know, you, you can't prepare for something like that. And, uh, and that's the beauty about sports, you know, Sports on TV or radio, whatever it's, you know, you can't, you, you can't predict. Of course, you can predict something, but uh, you never know what will happen. And uh, that's the beauty about sports uh, in 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 general. You know, uh, you you are almost unprepared, but you try to prepare for for, for the for, for the game or, or whatever it is. But you know. Then just something ha- happens and and uh, and you go mad, you know, <laughs> like I probably did. Like you definitely did, and you can't prepare for games. <laughs> you said you probably couldn't prepare to wake up a couple of days later after the Austria game and see your uh, see uh, your video of you screaming your head off and commentary uh, on websites across the world. You must have been stunned. Yeah, I was. I was pretty surprised, you know. Uh, uh, I am pretty shy, actually. Okay. You know, on a, so uh, it was it was strange for me, but uh, you know, you you learn to live with it. Uh, <laughs> that's the thing, you, you know. It's uh, it doesn't bother me too much, you know. I I'm not watching it every day, and uh, you know, so yeah. It's not a big problem for me. Great. No, it'd be great. God, I'd, I wouldn't mind being that famous for a few weeks, I have to say. And what was the reaction like in Iceland <laughs> to your commentary? Uh, I, uh, I actually think uh, most of the Iceland people didn't see or hear my commentary <laughs> because they were all screaming at the same time. So <laughs> they probably missed it. So, you know, I think it was... I got more famous abroad than uh, than at home because everybody else was uh, everybody in Iceland was just celebrating and uh, didn't hear a word or, or see until afterwards, of course, when uh, when it got viral. Yeah, of course. And uh, we read during the tournament uh, that you lost your day job as the assistant manager with K.R. Reykjavik uh, between the Austria and the England games. Uh, can you explain what happened there and maybe talk a little bit about your manager- managerial career? Uh, yeah, you know, I I stopped playing myself in 2009 and uh, got into co- uh, coaching straight the year after. So I've been coaching and uh, assistant coach since then almost. And... Uh, then I was on my uh, was my second year with uh, KR Reykjavik. I used to play there, you know. I played there for oh, I think ten seasons before I retired. And uh, you know, the, we just didn't do well last summer, and uh, the results were not not good. And uh, me and and uh, the manager we got we got sacked 
like you said, between the Austrian and England game. So that's about it. You know, it's, yeah. things happen. It happened in, in football, and you know, there's nothing new about that manager or assistant manager getting sacked. Yeah, but that's such an extraordinary week of varying emotions for you, uh, Goodmunder, because you've had the high of Austria, then you had the deep, deep low of losing of losing your job with Reykjavik, and then you were back uh, for the England game. Like looking back on that week or ten days or however long that was now, how do you reflect on it? But it was it was an emotional week, you know, because like you said, the the game against Austria where we scored the winning goal in in uh, additional time, and uh, and then uh, I did fly, because I did fly home to Iceland between the games mm. to to coach and, and uh, we had some games also you know the season Iceland didn't stop because of the Euros because we had no players from the Icelandic league in the squad for the Icelandic squad so we I think we played three games during the Euros and uh, I did fly back and forward to 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 be in Iceland for, for the games and, and uh, yeah it was a pretty emotional 10 uh, day there between the games and, and of course Getting the sack between those big moments for uh, with the Icelandic team, it was, uh, it's, it's just like life or, or or sports. It's ups and downs, you know. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, it was quite uh, quite a high the entire Euros for Iceland. Like when we reflect on Euro 2016, when Icelandic football people reflect on it in 20 or 30 years, just how important will this tournament have been for football in Iceland? It almost validates or just justifies all the work that you've put in at underage level for so long. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I definitely think it will help Icelandic football, you know, in uh, in the years to come because it gives... It gives uh, every young player uh, uh, a dream, actually. They, they saw their heroes do it at the Euros last summer, and, and, and uh, I think it will help our young players. You know, they know it's it's possible now, and uh, everybody wants to be a part. Every player, football player in Iceland, wants to be a player in the national team now, and uh, you know they have uh, their heroes like Gilvi Sigurdsson, and everybody wants to be the next Gilvi now. Mm. And everybody wants to go to the World Cup finals or the Euros and and uh, repeat what we did last summer. And and uh, I think actually it will help our young players. Yeah, and you have experience. You've played with Iceland, uh, Good Wonder, if I'm not wrong, for uh, between '94 and 2001. Uh, I think it's ten appearances. You, that was something you were obviously missing, and obviously it didn't stop you from from playing for the national side, but. Was that always something you really regretted playing for Iceland that you didn't have this these kind of heroes to follow, or that maybe you didn't you didn't get there yourselves? Yeah, of course we had our our heroes, but uh, you know they didn't uh, they they never made it to the to the finals, and and uh, that's probably the change. And you know that was my dream when I was a young boy to to go with Iceland to the World Cup or to the Euros, and and. It didn't happen because, you know, my teammates, they were not good enough. So, so <laughs> I had to I had to do it all myself. But no, uh, you know, without it, you know, I'm, I'm of course kidding a little yeah. bit about that. But uh, we we had this dream, you know, and uh, everybody, every football player has this dream to go with their country to the, to the Euros or, or, or World Cup. And, and it didn't happen then, but uh, I'm just happy that uh, they did it last summer. And, and you know, like I said before, it will it will help our football players, and not only football players. I think I will think I think it will help every sportsman in in Iceland to to make their dream happen. Uh, in terms of the Iceland squad today, obviously they've had the dream of the Euros and they've a reasonably good chance of making it to the World Cup uh, along with the Republic of Ireland. Uh, do you think you'll qualify? Of course, I hope not actually been uh, convincing uh, in qualifying so far. We we have 10 points and we are, I think, in second place behind Croatia. But uh, I think Croatia is, you know, by far the, the strongest team in, in the group. And 
it will not be easy. You know, it's it's always very difficult after uh, after the summer we had last year. Uh, it's difficult to repeat, and uh, but hopefully, hopefully, uh, I'm I'm hoping for a second. You know, if we can uh, stay second in the group and and then we have a playoff game and probably we will meet Ireland in the playoffs. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> you know. And who'd win that? <laughs> uh, uh, I think Ireland should win it. Oh, but, don't play you know, underdog. We, we, we have shown that uh, we, we, are, we are capable of doing some uh, wonderful things and, and hopefully we will do better than that. Yeah, of course. And now when listeners are listening to this interview, the Ireland and Iceland friendly will have happened uh, on Tuesday night and we're talking uh, beforehand. As in terms of that game, I might, yet, I might get you to predict a score and then listeners will know whether you're right or horribly wrong almost immediately. Yeah, I will probably be wrong, but uh, <laughs> I'm going for an Irish win tonight. Because, oh, good uh, man. You know, I I, I think Hartlinson, uh, uh, the Icelandic coach, he he will uh, he will probably put out the second team because you know the first team played uh, and won in Kosovo on uh, Friday night, and uh, Gilvi Sigurdsson is not with the squad anymore. He went home to Swansea, and uh, I think two or three other players are also gone. So I think he will play. You know the. The guys who have not been playing a lot, they will get a chance tonight and uh, hopefully they will do well, but uh, it will be difficult because, you know, we have almost played the same starting eleven for the last yeah. four four years. And, and uh, the guys on the bench, uh, they will get a chance, but they, are, they don't have uh, many games under the belt. So it will be really difficult. And, uh, but hopefully they will do well because... We have an organized team and, and, and we will defend well, but it will be more difficult to score goals because we are also missing our main goal scorers. They're all injured so all right. and they didn't even play in, in Kosovo. Okay. Um, well, that's but 3 3 1. Okay, 3 1. Okay. God, you're, I was going to go 2 1 to Ireland. Yeah. As you're more confident than me, than me. Uh, we started talking about your commentary. Let's end on that. Are you? What are you up to now? Are you moving back into coaching, or are you still doing commentary? Are you trying anything new? I'm. I'm only doing the commentary right now, and uh, I actually host also the the Icelandic version of uh, Match of the Day every oh, Monday in uh, in Iceland. So I'm just doing that, but hopefully sooner than later I'll be back in coaching and. If somebody gives me the chance. I'm sure they will. Good wonder. And how did you get into commentary? I'm always intrigued. It's always something I really wanted to do after that. Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I started, uh, actually, I tried a radio commentary. Uh, I think it was like like 15 years ago. Okay. Uh, uh, I was still a player then, and I was, I was injured. And uh, the... The radio station of KR Football Club. They oh. asked me if I would like to commentate on the game because I was injured, and uh, I tried it and then just loved it. And <laughs> I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, great. And were there ever any commentators that we'd know from uh, English football that you looked up to or tried to like model your commentary on? No, I I just tried to be myself. You know. Everything yeah. else is taken, I think. So I just try to be myself. But of course, I you know, I did grow up listening to Andy Gray. I know he's not a commentator; he's yeah. more like a co-commentator. But uh, I, I, I loved how he worked, and he actually, in my opinion, he changed the commentary. Oh, in, in, in what way? In the world, because he was he was excellent. Mm. In, ter- in in what way? Just in terms of how we use technology, or just the level of insight, or yeah, level of insight. I would say. And, okay. Uh, I see it also now with Gary Neville. You know, he is. They have so much insight because you know they just stopped playing and uh, they know what's going on in the you know in the dressing room and uh, and everywhere. Uh, so it gives you a lot of insight to have have commentary from somebody that has played the game. Yeah, of course. And not only, not just 
50 years ago, but <laughs> just almost two years ago or something. Yeah, mm. Definitely. Uh, well, good wonder your advice there to be yourself because everybody, everybody else is taken is a pretty great place to leave it. I think that's exactly what you've done and that's why uh, the world embraced you uh, during the Euros. And let's hope uh, we get a chance to listen to your commentary at the World Cup, although if it is at the expense of Ireland, uh, we might have to revise that opinion. Uh, good wonder, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to us on the Balls Football Show. No problem. Thank you, Gavin. Bye thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Get double the odds on first goal scorer with Ladbrokes. That's right, if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the opening 20 minutes of selected live matches, then Ladbrokes will double the odds. Available in Ladbrokes shops nationwide. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net. It's time for the Ladbrokes bet of the week. Uh, we've been on a good run lately. This one is uh, is a big one, actually. Yeah. I'm just after seeing. I would say we had we had been on a good run before Ireland kind Ireland and Wales let us down. Uh, we uh, I picked the bet last week and had Ireland to lead at halftime and for the game to be a draw. Um, neither side were that bothered about scoring a goal, so that kind of uh, spoiled that one. As uh, so we're bringing the Ladbrokes bet of the week back to the Premier League this week, and I've gone for a similar-ish kind of bet. Okay. Um, it's Arsenal City at the Emirates on Sunday. Arsenal to lead at halftime and Man City to win the game at twenty-two to one. I like that bet. Oh, like that twenty-two to one. Twenty-two to one's good odds. They're good odds. And when you consider Man City, are there's been so many games this season where Man City had just been a different team in the second half. When you look at them, and it's it's in big games as well. Mm. Liverpool, particularly uh, earlier in the season, and then Monaco as well. Of course, you you look at their first half performance, and Pep gets them in a halftime, and they come out a different team. Arsenal, on the other hand, usually start decently, and Alexis Sanchez will pop up with a goal, and they'll be like, oh. Oh, it's okay, and then no, no, it's not okay, and they kind of fall apart in the second half. So it's, it sounds like a good bet. Yeah, and even the game, the return game, the early, the game early in the season at the Etihad, Arsenal were brilliant early on. I can't remember if they took the lead. Maybe they did. Oh, they may have. I can't remember, yeah. but I remember they were being very good, and then all of a sudden just shit themselves and were two one down or two 0 down. As ever, Labrooks have given a special enhanced odds available in stores this weekend. They're offering double odds on the following games on first goal scorer markets. So if your first goal scorer scores in one of these games, you get double odds. On Friday, you've got Derby versus QPR. In uh, there's been a lot of Irish interest in that actually. Mm. I was uh, I was hoping to see Liam Kelly get a run last night, but we've talked enough about Ireland versus Ireland. <laughs> Jesus Christ, apologies. <laughs> Uh, Saturday, April 1st is Liverpool versus Everton, the Merseyside Derby. That is going to be outstanding. Uh, Southampton versus Bournemouth as well on that Saturday. Then on Sunday, you have Swansea versus Borough, Arsenal versus Man City. And then on Tuesday, I only just realised this game is happening on a Tuesday. Oh, oh there's a midweek round of Premier League next Man next United week. versus Everton, and I've got Tuesday off. <laughs> Delighted. Um, Wednesday, 5th of April, Chelsea versus Man City as well. That's the, the, those are the ends of the double odds game. I'll go back through them once more. Friday, Derby versus QPR. Saturday, Liverpool versus Everton. Southampton versus Bournemouth. Sunday, Swansea versus Borough. Arsenal versus Man City. Tuesday, Man United versus Everton. And Wednesday, Chelsea versus Man City. And the most exciting thing about Arsenal-Man City is that we're doing squeaky balls time around it on oh, Facebook yeah. on Sunday. Definitely. Get involved with that. At Ladbrokes, if one team lets you down on your ACA of five teams or more, you'll get your money back as a free bet up to €25. Euro. Ladbrokes. Online, mobile and in-shop. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net. Now, we're long overdue a uh, Chinese Super League update after we picked our teams on air. Yeah, listeners, to, uh, loyal listeners to the podcast, as I'm sure you all are, may remember on this show a few weeks ago, uh, the three of us decided to select a Chinese Super League team to support for the season uh, and just follow their fortunes throughout the year. Um, now, I went with Shandong Luneng, uh, the most successful side in the competition's history, but, in, but have gone through a few rough years. They've just about avoided relegation last season. We haven't won the league since 2010. You shamefully went for Guangzhou Evergrande, yep. the big boys, uh-huh. uh, and Gavin Casey, who's not here, went uh, with your cross-city rivals, Guangzhou RNF. Hipster that he is. Um, I am very happy to report uh, that Shandong Luneng are joint top of the league. Two games in, six points from six. Uh, there's a three-way tie at the top, along with Guangzhou RNF, wow. Gav Casey's team. Your boys, meanwhile, no. are a miserable fifth with three points. That means that they're only three points clear at the bottom of the league. They're also three, only three points off top, but sack the board uh, is, uh, is the message. And the reason your boys are only three points out of six is because they lost to Shandong Lanang, yeah, well, look, my team, on the opening day of the season. Well, look, I'm ever grande till I die, so it's going to take... Um, it's going to take a bit more than that for me to give up. 
uh, some upcoming uh, fixtures Sunday, April 8th is the Guangzhou Derby. Yeah, I be. mean, I feel that you and Gav Casey will have to have some kind of emergency yeah, squeaky balls time <laughs> around that, that could, game. Yeah, but that could well be a thing that happens. Um, or, you know, we could just watch the highlights on, uh, on Reddit after... Uh, <laughs> After after the game, like I've been doing all season. Like. Uh, by the way, Sky show these games. Uh, I think there's one game a week on Sky. You yeah, look but what time? They're like s- stupid early in the m- like re- like before pe- normal people would get up and go to work, isn't it? Yeah, maybe. So, yeah, uh, look. If you uh, do want to pick your own Chinese Super League team and get involved, and we can have some fun with that, do get in touch. The gaffer at bulls.e is the email, or tweet hashtag the ball back to uh, anyone really. We'll find it. We kind of monitor that yeah. hashtag. Um, there's also been some news from the Chinese Super League. Um, there's been an enormous stadium fire in Shanghai. The home ground is Shanghai Shenhua, uh, the t- side coached Carlos by Tevez. Gus Poet with Carlos Tevez. Um, well, their stadium randomly went up in flames uh, yesterday. Uh, no one has been hurt, thankfully. Um, there's a huge flames billowing out of one side of the building. Um, I'm looking at a BBC report and said they don't know what happened, uh, but there's been no casualties and their next home game is on April 16th. Um, otherwise... It wouldn't be uh, the Chinese Super League uh, without some news of the ruthless quashing of a rebel. Um, news, uh, Chinese international Kin Sheng has been severely punished by Shanghai Shenhua after what the Daily Mail described as a nasty and deliberate stamp on Axel Witzel. Uh, Sheng was sent off for the incident, uh, which happened during Shenhua's one-all draw with Tanhin Kuan Yin in the Super League. Um, he stamped on Axel Witzel. Uh, the Belgian midfielder. I who would say it was a nasty stamp. Um, it was, however, on his foot. Uh, he's been fined 35 grand. He's been relegated to the club's reserve team and he could yet see his wages reduced by the club. Um, yeah, well, like, don't, uh, don't go around hacking the superstars we paid a lot of money to bring in would be the message from Chinese football to our friend uh, there. And, you know, like, I th- I th- something like this was always going to happen. Like, a Chinese mm. player would be like, well... I don't give a shit that you're Axel Witzel. Here's a big stamp on your foot. But, like, you can't do that. That's the problem. So, uh, he's been punished. It's it's weird. Like, it, uh, yeah, you were... There, the, uh, initially, people were talking about him getting, like, a six-month ban for, yeah. for doing it. But I don't think that's transpired uh, because you can't really... He stood in his foot. Like, it's not like he headbutted him. It's not like he punched him. It's not like he went in on a two-footed lunge. He literally just went... Ah, and just stood on his foot like it's it's like something your little sister would do if you st- if you stole her her I don't know karaoke machine like what <laughs> what but I don't know so we'll wrap it up there that's all we've got time for on the Balls Eye Football Show this week a huge thank you as always to anybody who has been tuning in uh, subscribing and rating us on iTunes and mm-hmm. if you continue to do that you would be you know our best friends in the entire sound, world so that would be really really great for you to do um Hopefully, we, the next time we talk about Irish football, we can do so in a slightly more positive uh, way. We are, we've got June. In June, we've got Uruguay and Austria coming mm-hmm. up. Um, but then, you know, and th- at that stage, the Chinese season will be well and truly advanced. So look forward <laughs> to more updates on that. I'm rambling at this stage. So I will say once again, thank you to Labrooks for sponsoring the podcast and giving, giving us those juicy, juicy odds that we mentioned earlier in the uh, in the show. Thank you for listening from myself and Gavin here and all of us at Balls.ie. We will catch you for the next one.